Look, his locker's still open. <laughs> Subplot, it gets robbed. No. I'm not Matthew Perry. He's, he's confessing him out now. He's saying, look, you're acting weird. And I saw that magazine, and I think you like men. It's they're having, let's see if I can. I don't think my audio is going to work for you. Okay, I'll so do I'm it. Read, I'm reading. I got the audio. Sure. We missed it anyway. We missed, oh, wait. A blank mag. Mike, they just blanked out the F word. I saw you holding a blank mag. He's remembering. Yeah, you had a crush when we were young. Yeah, why don't you bang your girl? He did. He, he, was, he was trying to attack her. In there. He's talking about everything he's ever remembered, you know, like the whole history. I mean, they were best friends since elementary school. And what about ballet class? What about that? I mean, nothing? <laughs> I I did I couldn't do ballet myself because I had I they put put on a two you know the two two and it was an eight eight. Come on, you have weak ankles. <laughs> the Kenko ballet. Okay, now what's going to happen is everybody's been on him about gay and gay fag, but not Alan. Alan's cool, and Alan's going to relate a story about how his uncle came out of the closet and was really rough on him. But he was better off coming out. What was his uncle's? How Jewish was his uncle's name? What Mort? his uncle's name was Mort. <laughs> yes, of course it was. <laughs> We're looking for something really Jewish sounding. Mort Gaysen. See, Mort made. I have some backstory on Mort from the uncle. He's going to talk about. You see. He made a big mistake. His parents thought they were sending him to a Jewish gay uh, day school uh, <laughs> to learn Hebrew. <laughs> they sent him to a Jewish gay school, and he learned Hebrew. Yeah. That's worth the price of the day. There you go. Yeah, the church uh. is Our Lady of Judy Garland. Come on. <laughs> See, I was raised Catholic, and when we sinned, the priest would send us to the synagogue. I have to spend a few nope. Friday nights. Nope. It was it was a gay synagogue, but next, uh, catch us. <laughs> really campy gay jokes. Do we want to throw in yet? Okay, hold on. Now, Alan and his family burn a menorah because they are minority. Oh. Uh. Oh, that one hurt. You should have asked if I was sick. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I have a friend who's so Jewish. I have a friend who's so Jewish. We went salmon fishing. He caught locks. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, that's it. I'm doing my Scooby Doo joke. Hey, Adam. Uh, what did uh, Shaggy say when I showed him my genitals? What? You. Because the gonorrhea. <laughs> All right. Well, Thank you. Uh, no one is gonna You're not gonorrhea. Okay. Well, so here's the only original thing I've got for you. So, they've, has anybody else filed their their money for that lawsuit against the the Boy Scouts? Here, have I any did. of you guys? Anybody can do that, huh. but I should have known it. it. It was right there in the name. 
we blows. <laughs> I was in we blows. <laughs> yes, I was in we blows too. We did a lot of camping trips. So I've got I've, I've got a little honor badge that has both my knees. <laughs> yeah, well, we was wobble, but they don't fall down. So what the director shows us in the scene is like Alan's being cool. Maybe people can be cool if you came out of the closet. Uh-uh. uh Not in my... I could be like your uncle. Uh-uh. Ironically, no one was out of the closet in high school, right, Mike? I can't think of anyone. Well, I mean... Well, no. No. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't think so. There was Thabone. How y'all doing? Uh, Mark uh, I guess I knew guys that were gay in high school. Start naming names. Well, the gay <laughs> doesn't really make it. It wouldn't like hurt their, you know, they're out. They didn't care. This is in 1950. So right now, we're going to get the kind of like apology between best friends. But you got to tell me it's not true. You got to tell me that you're not gay. Oh, that's weird. I thought they you say apology and then a kiss. Here, whisper it in my ear. <laughs> my shirt says M for macho. Oh, that's right. My red says it's machismo. Now, this actor, his name is uh, Richard Joseph Paul. He went on to be in Oblivion and Vamp Vampirilla. I don't know. <laughs> he went on to Oblivion. <laughs> And Oblivion too. Is he is he in Vampirina, the cartoon? Yeah. No, Vampirella, nineteen ninety. Adam got excited Vampirina. there for a second. Something he heard of. Wait. Yes, yes. My daughters watch Vampirina, so I was hoping. Uh, yeah, I would have been down with that. They'd be like, "Girls, I was in a movie with blah 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 from Vampirina." <laughs> no big deal. Uh. By right. the way, that mower's total bullshit. He's going over leaves and nothing's happening. No, it looks like it's it looks like astroturf. It's it does look like astroturf. Oh, look at these two cool guys. Okay, so they're gonna buy a car. In someone's driveway? No, it's a lot. <laughs> you see the price sticker on a window by his elbow? 1961. Yeah, yeah back, this back is the day long ago. Yeah, Todd's asking if that was queer. At least they said queer. The language is getting a little nicer. And Alan's like, what's the big deal? Now, are you telling me Alan lost his hair due to cancer at age 30? No, at a young age. Uh, it was... I have it here. I'll get it in a minute. So, yeah, he's... He's watching his, his young hair. Yeah, and, and back then, you know, when they were doing radiation treatments and you lost your hair, that stuff did not grow back right. No, so I think he kept it off. Yeah, so he probably. Oh, wait, 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 wait. All right, watch. This is my scene. No, it's not. All right, here. Hold on. Carl, when is my. Yeah. I will, your <laughs> scene is coming. He's going to talk. Look, she's going to duck into a little thing and talk, you know, like, listen, they're saying you're gay. Are you gay? What's up? You know? And his answer's like, hey, you know, I mean, uh, you know. And she's like, I'm okay, happy. I don't. <laughs> then he's going to walk away, <laughs> and Adam will 
push him like a football shot. Now, my, my direction was to push him, but not push him so hard. So you wouldn't know if I was really pushing him because he was gay or I accidentally pushed him. So my direction was not clear at all. So my, it was like, you hit him, but don't hit him too hard. Don't make it too obvious. Just hit him. I really not watching it. I should have hit him hard. Yeah. Not because he's gay, but because <laughs> it made more sense. Okay, I think it's coming up now. He's going to start marching down the hall, and you're going to bonk him. Here we go. No, no, no. Oh, darn. Wow, that's Monkland you, High, huh? You was... told her I was gay, damn it. It's the annex uh, parking lot again. Oh, it is? Rand School. Yeah. And Rand, Rand was after was the pretty... painter, right? 1800s Hudson Valley painter, Rand? Well, there's Anne Marinera. And look, yeah. at, look at all the kids around him. who are actually 18, 17 and 18. He played for the New York Jets and the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, and you know what Ed's been doing in the last 10 years? In the last 10 years? Uh, no. Amy Fisher Story, 92. Oh, yeah. Hulu's 81. Dynasty oh, in 81. Wait, Joey Buttafuoco? Oh. <laughs> he, he, he went perfect, to North Milford High School. North oh, Milford High School. That's hitting low. <laughs> but it's like, at that time, who else are you going to get? But Oh, yeah, but in, at that time, that was probably a good role. Oh my god, because it was three movies at once, so one of them got Edmund and Aaron, the other one's got some other hacks. So that wasn't the right hallway scene, right? We didn't see you bumping. No. Okay, but good. It's good. coming up. All right. Well, you don't have to, you, I'm not saying don't blink, but just don't blink when I'm on. Right. So is it like you just bump up, like, you like, like as you're going down the hallway, like, 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 it's unclear if I did it like, by accident like, get or get out of my way, bump them? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's or, unclear. If it was intentional, you'll see. It could have just been bonk. Could have been in a hurry. Or or that was just your way of getting beyond the the extra scale. Right. Yes. Which is still make personal contact with them. You get an extra. You know what's funny, Adam is you only know it's you if you know you because it's the back of your head, and it's you know I know you. I know your shoulders. I know your you know. Oh, I remember that shirt. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if I remember that shirt. But it is true. I had to watch it three times to make sure. Like, I guess that was me. That is my hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in a movie recently. Uh, a friend of mine produced a film and hired me based on my look <laughs> from Facebook. To he be- goes, I've seen the back of your head before. Wait, hold on. No, I was playing a janitor who <laughs> was walking down these steps upset. And... Uh, I said, why did you cast me? Because oh, they wanted a certain look, so I gave three friends from Facebook and you're the guy. But, <laughs> but they cut me because I walked too fast. Yeah. yeah. I have to put that down as part of your resume. I, I, you see the back of my head for just a second in What If I'm Gay? Yeah. I might have, done that. I might have pulled that. IMDB. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should put And you should put a second IMDB credit on the cutting room floor for... Oh yeah, it's like a horror movie sequel. Yeah, I should do that. Oh yeah, there's your there's your, big in London. Apparently. There's your SAG after up credits. Now you just need there to buy pay a year and you're in. Now all that's happening now is the father's the playing a story of when he was a, a kid. There was a guy who was gay, and we all had to pick on him, or they think you were gay. And and the son's not outing to the father. He's just saying, "Do you know a homosexual?" Oh. <laughs> well, do you see how I gave him, like the chip on the shoulder kind of hit on like oh gosh that was some acting 
Claire Claire's stairway, so clear with the Holy tiles. Yeah. Hallway, like, hallway. Like, students. Don't blink, don't blink. Okay, this might be it. This might be it. Oh, look at the look at the extras, Mike. Look how happy the blonde girl who I know uh, is to see a friend. That's how extras should be, Michael. They should be happy all the time. She's excited. She got the book. <laughs> Mike got cut because yeah. he's an upset actor. Uh, extra. But that show so, doesn't doesn't need to be focused. Nine zero one two zero girl is once again saying, "Come on, Adam, let's go on a date." God damn it! And then she's like. Is it you or me? And why are you so, you know, huh? and she huffs off and Adam, I mean, excuse me. And uh, Alan will change his tune and say, what time? It's kind of endearing. So now they're going on a date. Ah, uh, see there. Right. But, here it comes. Right, here, we here it here comes. We go. Boom, that was me. <laughs> that, was you. that was your <laughs> neck. <laughs> Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I just that took was... a screenshot of that. I want you to autograph it. A yes. solid impact. A solid impact. Good job. By the way, guys, you're welcome. Good. I think they gave you good direction. Oh, this is a great scene here, Mike. Um, when I was watching him shoot this. He, they said the lock made too much noise when he closed the locker, so they took the lock out. So he's pretending that there's a lock there, but there isn't. And I remember being like, what? That's insane. Because the cameraman's like, I don't even see it. Why don't we just get rid of it? Right. And right. I was like, that's not how, that's not reality. Not, this is bullshit. See? Click. He clicked it. Oh, you can see that well, there's no light. Yeah, you can see it's not really closed. And you can even see Marinara's hand maybe up against it, keeping it closed. Holding it closed. Yeah. The movie's fucking bullshit. Hey, coffee sniffing the guy's that guy. Wasn't and too loud. Oh, this is the scene where the guy kept screaming. I wonder. I don't know if you heard it. If you can hear it at all. Can you put the volume. Yeah, take a listen. Yeah. Do your volume because I don't think you can hear mine. That's saying that she'd rather be with a boy than with a girl. Yeah, that's what it means, sweetheart. Why? Me. Yeah, I want to kiss a boy. Part of it. Why you know? It's relatable. Who stubbed their toe? <laughs> it's like a serious scene, and Caggiano's yelling. Rock! <laughs> yeah. Mighty, I don't know it was. <laughs> Our high school had huge trees where you could hang out on the, the trunk of it. Look at his I, John Lennon hair. Yeah. Some good hair. That is Paul McCartney hair. <laughs> Woo! I think everyone got cast hair first. Like He loves you, yeah. <laughs> well, he still looks like Davy Jones. What a mop top. <laughs> so that he looks like a Lego figure, a Fisher Price figure. Davy right. Jones was my favorite Beatle. What about you guys? <laughs> oh no, uh, Davy Jones is my favorite Beatle. No, definitely Mick Jagger. Like, uh, like when everybody Gilden. asks me what's my favorite Marx brother, and I say Carl. Thanks. <laughs> Carl how? Carl Marx. So we should make the, the high school had three buildings. They had a freshman building, right. a regular building, and the room school with the annex, which had all the fame kids and the burnout. Right. So including, fam 
Mike, you know some famous people that went there? Alex Winter? Uh, Alex Winter went there? Yeah, he went to the alternative school. He went to like alternative high school there. Yeah. Who else? Who else? Well, Ty Taylor, of course, who's either out in high school or not really hiding it. Um, I tell you, Ty Taylor was a genius. Whoa. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) That ain't cool at all. Right. (laughs) It's more of a locker, by the way. Well, it's a locker, but the French, um, the French call it. Uh, okay, that ain't right. The French call it fag closet. It's true. Right. Were they out of pink paint? What's That's up? a good point. Good point. Okay, good so point. this is important. So he he says, like, stay away from me. I'm poison. I'm no good to anyone on this earth. So he thinks he's going to kill himself because gay people kill themselves. Well, in movies, they do, yeah. Look at uh, it. It's a phone booth. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. A pay phone. Where did they find a pay phone? Ty Taylor. Uh, Taylor did a lot of shows in high school. He like choreographed them. He wrote them. He did the music. He directed mm. them. He starred in it. He's he's, he's oh. famous for being on American Idol with a mohawk and just being belligerent. I guess I, I haven't seen it, but he's no, a really he's good guy. He's in a, a really popular band right now. I can't think of, but he was on the. The show where they're looking for a new singer for NXS. Uh, oh. in trouble. Okay. He, I was in a play that Tyrone. Oh my God, Carl! I was in a play that Tyrone directed, and mm-hmm. I was your girlfriend at the time. Marka. Marka. Marka Lee. Marka Lee, and then you and I and Marka went to uh, Jersey, um, the the beach, Jersey Shore. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we slept in your car. Oh, we slept on the beach and got thrown out. Yep. That was fun. And we went to a water park. That was a fun day. Now, look, they think he's inside going to kill himself. So they're going to try to smash down the window. It's a nice house. God, I want a house like that. You yeah, like nice house. Well. You know, I live in L.A. and Right, you can't get a colonial with that kind of porch and the, look at those doors. That kind of porch in San Francisco, eight comics would be living on it. <laughs> <laughs> Just before Alan smashes, who should show up? Uh, my the number number is late. Listen, oh, if he had smashed that, the budget would have been an extra yeah, $1,800. <laughs> I'm We're just buying some gay burgers. Hey, what do you think this is? Not we a, don't know that you're going to go on to 90120. You're only getting scale. Well, those are the two most successful what people from that. Guys, why are you laughing on my porch? Oh, that side closet gag was hysterical. <laughs> we thought you killed yourself because you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> nope, just went to get some protein. Yeah. Who's got <laughs> And a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> Hell. Oh, that's You mm. notice how he wasn't carrying a milkshake, right? So, in the sequel, <laughs> he would go on uh, to be a sailor because he found he liked semen. 
<laughs> Look at the bike. Uh, uh, the girl's hanging out on the bike rack. I want to give it up to both Carl and Mike. You've definitely hit a new low. With all our comments, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. That looks like Marka on the left. We want we wanted huh. our commentary to match the date in which this movie was written. Right. Adam, Marka you know, was in an after-school special shot in Montclair. Do you remember which one? I don't. No, was it the one you guys watched? There was a few. There wasn't a nerd I, one, an alien one. Right. I don't know which. Was. Right. Uh, she she uh, was in it, and I I couldn't uh, find part? her. Oh, yeah. Was a small no, an extra. Hey, in... Mr. Powell. Hey. Tax kids. Why are you out of breath? You're you're on the Minnesota Vikings. That That's looks like just, your sweatsuit just came out of the plastic. Why are you sweating? <laughs> Got folded marks on it. He's a Heisman Trophy finalist, by the way. Oh, I bet. Yeah, he was a ball player. Came out of New Milford, New Jersey. <laughs> New, New Milford. Yeah. Is that where all the MILFs Not are? <laughs> we have West Milford. That's where the MILFs are to the west. And okay. there's New Milford. And I think there's Milford. Anyway, he went on to Cornell and he became a big football guy. And then he became an actor and he, he got some success. But that town's got to have some great chances at some really good logos like Get Milfed. <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Are you moving over there now? What's going on? My other wife's a MILF. What's going on here? Is he saying, look, I'm also the school counselor. If you ever want to talk to me, come talk to me. And he is talking to him. And he's like, you can live a normal life. You don't have to be a degenerate. That's what he says. Let's listen. Let's listen. Let's listen. All right. Hang on. I should mention while I change the volume. Here we go. Uh, Homosexual doesn't mean your life is over and become police Your life is so much better. <laughs> your life's not over because you're a fag. Dignified because being gay is not. I gotta think about it. Yes. <laughs> You're gonna make new ones. <laughs> Go to the rent pool. I'm just waiting for Marinara to pop up and say, "Well, then, could you possibly come over and mow my lawn and go go <laughs> shorts and watch we can watch videos, Hill Street Glow." Yeah. Look how white his sneakers are. <laughs> the sneakers, the sweatsuit, literally right out of the plastic. Oh, I remember when this film was shot, we would call the film It's Okay to Be Gay. Like, are you in It's Okay to Be Gay? That type of thing. The people in the know, we used to call it What Gay? You know, to shorten it. We used to be like, hey, are you doing What Gay? <laughs> <laughs> what? Thomas says, What? <laughs> That was the name of the movie originally. <laughs> what? It was the 80s. We were not considered people. 
Um, can't expect people to accept you if you can't accept yourself. Alan said something just like that. Alan said, yeah, that was Alan's message to him. And this guy's saying, like, you need to see a psychologist. You're going to be okay. I, I didn't like the way they spun it. Like, you know, like, being gay isn't like, oh, sure, I know. You won't be a degenerate. You'll have your dignity. I don't know. It's like the wrong way to think about it. Well, because that, yeah, the was, whole that was the first version of being woke. Kind of. Yeah. Right? So that was like, I'm kind of cool. Not really. I mean, it's all right that you're still on the same planet as me. Kind of. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like them kind of trying to deal with it. Because they know they had to deal with it. But... If you look at it in today's day and age, no, it's it's it's, it's the wrong point of view, right? Now, look, I, I got to interrupt now. See, see, this is great Montclair High School front door, but he's saying, like, when we were kids, we fooled around. No, he's not. Can you put it on, Mike? <laughs> oh, yeah. Never. So he's freaking out. Put it on. Remember that summer camp when we were younger? Now check it out. Experimentation. All of a sudden, he's got wisdom. Yeah. And close-ups. And close-ups. Up his nose. He would go on to be yeah, Superman. Where? Really? Uh, Christopher Reeve. <laughs> oh, yeah. You look so young, Christopher Reeve, and he can walk. Yeah, well, he was young in 88. Like high school. So yeah, we're like wrapping up now. We're we're learn, you know, like he's making his peace with them, and it's a hard talk, and the script really hits the nail over the head here a little too hard. But we're wrapping up. Look how Montclair. Oh, my dad almost bought that house. He always when we drove by, I could have got that house for five dollars. Great front <laughs> driveway. This that circular driveway. Yeah. No one ever used that driveway, by the way. Right, and that front that... entrance was always closed. Oh, that's probably why. Yeah. Extras, yeah, see anybody you know? Uh, let's see. I feel like I might be in that no. scene, too. I was a ham. Gina, where's let's the see if you're bully? Which boy? You boy number 68? <laughs> you recognize <laughs> this guy? Oh, yeah, this guy, definitely. The girl who was talking all happy references prom date. That could have been me. That could have been any any uh buddy from our school. Come so, on, make a cameo, uh, yes. somebody. Wow. I don't recognize yeah, it. Wait, all these people are gay. Is that what they're trying to say? All yeah, I think. What if I'm gay? Uh Adam, what'd you think of your movie? You know, I thought it was great. You know, a lot of people would say that I, I was hardly in it. And uh they would be accurate but i think i made my point and uh 
in the sequel, you know, Netflix is going to do a, a whole series sequel to this. <laughs> and Adam, I'm really glad that you insisted to the director that you needed to take that 54th take because you just <laughs> on that one that you really had the right mojo on it. After 53, I was like, can we just do one for me? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and that was the one, right? That was the one. That was the one they used. That was the one they used. Uh, never know. Yeah, you never know. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do one more take. Listen. Co-star Seth Rogen, will you stop with the ad list? And action. Carl, what did you think of this movie? I enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it was an important message of the day, but it was mostly cool to be in Montclair again. Walking the the high school, walking the city. Now, Paul, you are not from Montclair. What did you think of the movie tonight? I felt like I could have been there. It was was all of our high schools in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned the yep. locker, man. I, I I definitely was stuffed in a few lockers like that until I became <laughs> six foot. Um, and so, yeah, no, I remember it. Um, it definitely remember even like the the, the library scenes. Um, you know, you could I could have been right there in Montclair with you guys, and you had asked Mike at one point, "Oh, that's the part upstairs. That's the library upstairs." Yeah, our library had two floors also, and they, they told me there was just more books up there. So I said, "No, nah, I'm good." So I just <laughs> down on the Never explored. <laughs> yeah, so I was good with the first floor. Um, so yeah, no, it, it it reminded me of high school, bubble yum, and uh, right, and and like you had said, what was it? Uh, members only jackets and Vans tennis shoes. What about you, Mike? Yeah. Oh, I think it's excellent. I mean, come on. It's uh it it has a very heavy handed, but you know, a lot of kids who are gay have an opportunity to see a kid who's gay and, and hear the coach say it's all right. And uh I'm sure that the video of that special was played at nauseum and at centers and stuff like yeah. that. I like it. It's good. You know, it has a little more weight uh than the uh battle of the bullies. Right. Know, the more serious subject. Yes. <laughs> And there's a lot more Montclair. And plus, it starts off with the Bellevue Movie Theater. And right. Uh, except for that erroneous, like, come on, who who's supposed to believe that you turn down that alley and you don't go to uh, uh, Charlie Brown? <laughs> right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, absurd. Uh, that's very cool. So, you guys, thank you so much for being part of this. Paul and Adam, where can people find you? What, how, how can they learn more about you? What, what projects do you got for them? Oh, why don't you go first? All right, I appreciate it. Every Sunday, you can catch me on MutinyRadio.fm on the Edge of Insanity from 12 to 2 uh, PST. Um, You can also check out everything I do. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer, and all that good stuff. You can check out my website at paulbrumbaugh.com. Like Mike said, a podcast called Proudly Resents with the Popping Peas. And uh, it's great if you like uh, cult films and hearing weird stories of weird films, definitely check it out. Um, there's over 200 episodes, so if you want to write me, I'll tell you which ones are good. Uh, nice. Reach at Mac.com. And uh, Twitter is at probably. It was at Reach Adam, Reach Adam at Mac.com. Right. Sorry. Gotcha. Like, not reach around Adam. No. That's, not that's reach around movie. Adam. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what bad. it was. What if, right, I'm well, gay? what if I'm gay? Yeah, so I'm gay. That was one of my jokes. Was uh, in high school. Um, <laughs> was 
people always say, what are you, gay? And I think, yeah. And they go, oh. This <laughs> is such a weird insult. What are you, gay? I am. Oh, that makes sense. Then I understand why you did that. <laughs> I know where you're coming from. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that has been our show. Uh, and uh, check us out, LWFLMOYT. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Do whatever you got to do. Who cares? Thanks a lot. <laughs> Later. Let's watch a full length movie on YouTube. Watch a full length movie on YouTube with Mike Beagleman. It's been over one long year watching movies bad, strange, and weird comedy. By Michael. Hi, this is Carl. I, I, I'm Mike's friend. I, I wrote this song. My turn-ons are French poodles, Chinese noodles, and, and German strudels. You should follow me on Twitter. It's Jokes to Carl. Uh, that's the French duh, not the <laughs> Now let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Michael.
oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time. Chance on the Chancellor. Hey, what's going on? Radio Land. It's four o'clock on a Tuesday. San Francisco, that means it's time for the always free radio show. second half and I'm also going to play another SoundCloud somebody else sent out uh, Tenali Tenali that uh, does the field recordings like the sound that you hear in the background that's, that's his recording he, uh, he has a podcast called Muddy Boots and Muddy Boots is all these sound recordings that he takes all over the world and he makes really cool, trippy, fun sound collages, you know? and uh, there's some that he made that were ra- rainbow specific, and uh, 
cut out some excerpts for me to play. So thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to hearing them. So uh, I'm going to play out the rest of Eloise's sound collage. And if anybody is listening and they want to call in and talk about stuff, Rainbow Gathering related or not, I heard that there was a somewhat of a black sheep gathering. Oh boy, do I miss Rainbow in these times of COVID. But if you want to call in and uh, talk about anything, the number is 415-550-0511. 415-550-0511. You can chat. Or you can just ramble. I'll just let you go on and on and on. I don't, I don't really care. You know, you, like I'll give you the feather. You can say whatever you want to say. Rainbow related. Plug in your activism, your podcast, books. Sing heart songs. Tell me conspiracy theories. Talk about politics. Like what is going on with that stimulus bill? Fuck you, Mitch McConnell. You know, whatever. Uh, that's loud. I'll allow it. Also, if you want to uh, email me in your submissions. Like, I, I originally started this podcast so that we could archive old um, newspapers of the Always Free, which is a rainbow rag. It's a rainbow newspaper that was been going on since the 80s. And so this is kind of like the audio version of that. We didn't have uh, an Always Free this year. There, there was a gathering in Idaho 2020, but uh, a lot of people did not attend. So we did not put together that paper. And instead, we have this really awesome radio show. But it, it depends... It, it really relies on, on, on you and your submissions and, and caring about this thing. And, you know, anything that you want to share, you wrote this poem and you want to just read it on air or you want to record yourself and send it, please send it in. Like, you, you have a short story you want to read, you have an old, like, say you have an old episode, uh, an old issue of The Always Free. Like, Garrett called in and read from his very own copy that he had and read some articles. That was amazing. Um, I would tell you what episode that's on, but I don't know. Uh, maybe someday I'll be more organized, she says, every week. Cool. Um, yeah, but if you want to send in those submissions, we have our uh, uh, an email address. It's the alwaysfreepod at gmail. That's A-L-L-W-A-Y-S-P-O-D at gmail. So alwaysfree pod at gmail so send in your stuff because i love it and uh oh yeah there's some music somebody sent me in like you want to promote your music please do you want to just tell me about the first time you ever hitchhiked please do you want to tell me about how you got over your crack addiction call in tell me about it i I would love to hear about it you know what yeah
really don't like um, words like artist or integrity or courage or nobility. I have a kind of distrust of all those words because I don't really know what those words mean. Any more than I really know what such words as democracy or peace or peace-loving or warlike or integration mean. And yet, one's compelled to recognize that all these imprecise words are kind of uh, attempts <coughs> made by us all to get to something which is real and which lives behind the words. Whether I like it or not, for example, and no matter what I call myself, I suppose the only word for me when the chips are down is that I am an artist. There is such a thing. There is such a thing as integrity. Some people are noble. There is such a thing as courage. The terrible thing is that all of these words, the reality behind these words, depend ultimately on what the human being, meaning every single one of us, believe to be real. The terrible thing is that all these words, the reality behind them, depend on choices one has got to make forever and ever and ever, every day. I am not interested really in talking to you as an artist. It seems to me that the artist struggle for his integrity is a kind of metaphor must be considered as a metaphor for the struggle which is universal and daily of all human beings on the face of this terrifying globe to get to become human beings. It is not your fault, and it is not my fault that I write. I would never become before you in the position of a complainant for doing something that I must do. What we might get at this evening, if we are lucky, the mic doesn't fail, my voice holds out, if you ask me questions, is what the importance of this effort is. It would seem to me that, how arrogant this may sound, I want to suggest two propositions. The first one is that the poets, by which I mean all artists, are finally the only people who know the truth about us. Soldiers don't, statesmen don't, priests don't, union leaders don't. Only the poets, that's my first proposition. 
We know about the Oedipus complex not because of Freud, but because of a poet who lived in Greece thousands of years ago. And what he said then about what it was like to be alive is still true in spite of the fact now we can get to Greece in something like five hours and then it would have taken I don't know how long a time. The second proposition is what I really want to get at tonight. And it sounds mystical, I think, in a country like ours and at a time like this. But something awful is happening to a civilization when it ceases to produce poets. And what is even more crucial, when it ceases in any way, whatever, to believe in the report that only poets can make. Conrad told us a long time ago, I think it was in a book called Victory, but I might be wrong about that, but the line is, woe to that man who does not put his trust in life. Or Henry James said, live. Live all you can. It's a mistake not to. And Shakespeare said, and this is what I take as being the truth about everybody's life all of the time. Out of this metal danger, we pluck this flower fate. Art is here to prove and to make one bear, to help one bear, the fact that all safety is an illusion. It's in this sense that all the artists are divorced from and even opposed to necessarily any system whatever. Let's trace it just for kicks for a minute. And I'll use, I'll use myself. I won't say me, but it's my story. The first thing an artist finds out is when he's very, very young. When I say young, I mean before he is, before he is 15. That is to say, before properly speaking, he or she can walk or talk. Before he or she has had enough experience to begin to assess his or her experience. And what occurs at that point in this hypothetical artist's life is a kind of silence for reasons he cannot explain to himself or to others. He does not belong anywhere. Maybe you're on the football team, maybe you're a runner, maybe you belong to a church, you certainly belong to a family. And abruptly, in other people's eyes, this is very important, in other people's eyes, you begin to discover that you are moving and you cannot stop this movement to what looks like the edge of the world.
Now, what is crucial, and one begins to understand it much, much later, is that if you were this hypothetical artist, if you were, in fact, the dreamer that everybody says you are, if, in fact, you are wrong not to settle for the things that you cannot, for some mysterious reason, settle for, if this were so, the testimony in the eyes of other people would not exist. The crime of which you discover slowly that you are guilty is not so much that you are aware, which is bad enough, but that other people see that you are and cannot bear to watch it because it testifies to the fact that they are not. You are bearing witness helplessly to something which everybody knows and nobody wants to face. Least of all, the hypothetical misfit who has not, as I said, learned how to walk or talk and doesn't know enough about experience to know what experience he has had. Well, One survives that, no matter how. By and by, your uh, uncles and your parents and the church stops praying for you. They realize it won't do a bit of good. They give you up. And you proceed a little further and uh, your lovers put you down. They don't know what you're doing either. And you can't tell them, because you don't know. You survive it. And in some terrible way, which I suppose no one can ever describe, you are compelled, you are corralled, you are bull-whipped into dealing with whatever it is that hurts you. And what is crucial here is that if it hurt you, if it hurt you, that is not what is important. Everybody's hurt. What is important, what bullwhips you, what corrals you, what drives you, torments you, is that you must find some way of using this to connect you with everyone else alive, because it's all you have to do it with. You must understand that your pain is trivial except insofar as you can use it to connect with other people's pain, and insofar as you can do that with your pain, you can be released from it, and then hopefully it works the other way around too. Insofar as I can tell you what it is like to suffer, perhaps I can help you to suffer less. Then you make, oh, 15 years later, several thousand drinks later, two or three divorces, God knows how many broken friendships, and an exile of one kind or another, some kind of breakthrough, which is your first articulation of who you are, which is to say, your first articulation of who you suspect we all are. Let me, let me put it another way. When we were all very young, when I was very young, and I'm sure this is true for everybody here, I assumed that no one had ever been born who was only five foot six inches tall or been born
born poor, or been born ugly, or masturbated, or done all those things which were my private property when I was 15. No one had ever suffered the way I suffered. And then you discover, and I discovered this through Dostoevsky, that it is common. Everybody did it. Not only did everybody do it, everybody's doing it. <laughs> and all the time. It's a fantastic and terrifying liberation. The reason it is terrifying is because it makes you, once and for all, responsible to no one but yourself. Not to God the Father, not to Satan, not to nobody, not a living. Just you. If you think it's right, then you've got to do it. If you think it's wrong, then you mustn't do it. And we all know how difficult it is, given what we are, to tell the difference. Not only between right and wrong, the whole nature of life is so terrible that some, somebody's right is always somebody else's wrong. And these are the terrible choices one has always got to make. All right, I said the cat survived all that. And this is a very crucial thing. You know, dirty socks can make you feel like nothing but a dirty sock. You walk into a room and somebody says, what do you do? And you say, I write. And they say, yeah, but what do you do? <laughs> and you wonder, what do you do? And what's it for? Why don't you get a job? <laughs> and somehow, you can. And finally, you learn this in the most terrible way. Because you try. You're in a position of someone on the edge of a field, and it's cold in the field, and there's a house over there, and there's fire in the house and food, and everything you need, everything you want, and you make all kinds of efforts to get into that house. And they would let you in. They would let you in. They're not being cruel. They recognize you as you come to the door, that's all. And they can't let you in. You get in, let us say, for five minutes, and you can't stay. When I was much younger, people said to me, this is very serious, and it's not just a confession, I'm not just being self-indulgent. All right, you were working, now stop working, have a drink, forget it. Why are you so serious all the time? You can't write all the time, Jimmy. Relax. Have you ever heard anybody tell you to relax? All right, you get through all that. After all that, you've made your first breakthrough. People have heard your name. And here comes the world again. The world you first encountered when you were 15, the world which had starved you, despised you, here it comes again. This time it is bearing gifts. The phone didn't ring before if you had a phone. Now it never stops ringing. The people saying, what do you do? They say, won't you do this? 
And you become, or you could become, a very important person. You find yourself in a position of a woman I don't know who sings a certain song in a certain choir. And the song begins, she says, I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. You've come full circle. Full circle. Here you are again, with it all to do all over again, and you must decide all over again whether you want to be famous or whether you want to write. And the two things, in spite of all the evidence, have nothing whatever in common. Now, what is it at the point that the artist, since I must put it this way, begins to come of age that he cannot keep to himself? This is the trickiest part of the whole argument. I was having lunch today with two very good friends of mine, or one very good friend of mine, a friend of his. And they're both artists, and I wasn't trying to be sardonic. The friend of the friend is a, is a man I admire very much, but the other one is a cat I really, know, dig. And we were trying to persuade, not persuade at all, my friend is an actor, and his role, which we all know he ought to play, in fact, we all know, anyone who loves him, that he has no choice but to play it sooner or later, and we all know that he's a little afraid to. And God knows he should be. But he knows he's got to do it. And his friend was saying to him, and I paraphrase it, paraphrase it very awkwardly, you must remember that most people live in almost total darkness. It is true, said this friend, that we drink too much, you suffer from stage fright, and you may get an ulcer or die of cancer. And it is true that it is all very, very hard and gets harder all of the time. And yet, people, millions of people, whom you will never see, who don't know you, never will know you, people who may try to kill you in the morning, live in a darkness which if you have that funny, terrible thing which every artist can recognize and no artist can define, you are responsible to those people to lighten that darkness and it does not matter what happens to you. You are being used in the way a crab is useful, the way sand certainly has some function. It is impersonal. This force which you didn't ask for and this destiny which you must accept is also your responsibility and if you survive it, if you don't cheat, if you don't lie, it is not only you know, your glory, your achievement. It is almost our only hope.
tell, and only others have told, since we have heard of man, what it is like for anyone who gets this planet to survive it. What it is like to die, or to have somebody die. What it is like to fear death. What it is like to fear. What it is like to love. What it is like to be glad. Hymns don't do this. Churches really cannot do it. The trouble is that although the artist can do it, the price that he has to pay himself and that you, the audience, must also pay is the willingness to give up everything to realize that although you spent 27 years acquiring this house, this furniture, this position, Although you spent 40 years raising this child, these children, nothing, none of it belongs to you. You can only have it, you can only have it by letting it go. You can only take if you are prepared to give. And giving is not an investment. It is not a day at the bargain counter. It is a total risk of everything, of you, of who you think you are, who you think you'd like to be, where you think you'd like to go, everything, and this forever, forever. Now, I, if I may put it this way, and all my tribe, if I may put it that way, find it's very hard to do. And it's very hard on my mother, and my sisters, and my brothers, and all my friends. And it's very hard on me. And I may fail in the next two seconds. But then one has got to understand that it's I and all my tribe, I mean artist tribe, that if it is hard for me, if I spend weeks and months Avoiding my typewriter, and I do, sharpening pencils, trying to avoid going where I know I've got to go, then one has got to use this to learn humility. After all, after all, there is a kind of saving egotism, too. Cruel and dangerous is also saving egotism about the artist's condition, which is this. I know that if I survive it, when the tears have stopped flowing and the blood is dried, when the storm is settled, I do have a typewriter, which is my torment, but it's also my, my work. If I can survive it, I can always go back there. And if I've not turned into a total liar, then I can use it and prepare myself in this way for the next inevitable and possibly fatal disaster. But if I find that hard to do, and I have a weapon which most people don't have, then one must, one must then understand how hard it is for almost anybody else to do it at all. And this is where the whole question, in my own private personal case of being an American artist, of being not yet 65 years old, and of being an American Negro artist in 1963, in this most peculiar of countries, 
begins to be a very frightening assignment. One is dealing with all of the time the most inarticulate people that I, in any case, have ever encountered. And I don't hesitate to say the most inarticulate group of people I'm ever likely to encounter, I or anybody else, for a very long time, at least in this century. Inarticulate and illiterate in a very particular and difficult to describe way. Unlettered in a language which may sound a little florid, but there's no other way that I can think of to say it. Totally unlettered in the language of the heart. Totally distrustful of whatever and not to be touched. Panic stricken at the very first hint of pain. Are people determined to believe that they can make suffering obsolete? Who don't understand yet a very simple physiological fact that the pain which signals a toothache is a pain which saves your life. This is very frightening. It frightens me half to death. And I'm not talking now merely about race, and I'm certainly not talking merely about Southerners. I'm talking really about two-thirds of my public and technical allies. People who believe that it is time that the country became a real democracy. People who believe that segregation is wrong. You will be able to march on picket lines. Who yet have overlooked something else. And they are still under the illusion, I think, that what they have overlooked has something to do with social questions, and in my particular case anyway, that it has something to do with Negroes. I would like to live long enough, don't misunderstand me, but I would like to live long enough to see that word, or the use to which it's put, struck from the American vocabulary. In effect, there is no Negro problem. The problem is that one is still in a kindergarten, an emotional kindergarten, and the Negro in this country operates in some kind of uh, gorilla, something that takes up all the background. I have tried to call our state one time saying, what should I do? I mean, what should I do about the Negro problem? What can I do for you? There is nothing you can do for me. There is nothing you can do for Negroes. It must be done for you. One is, is not attempting to save 22 million people. One is attempting to save an entire country, and that means an entire civilization. And the price for that is high. The price for that 
is to understand oneself. The price for that, for example, is to recognize that most of us, white and black, have arrived at a point where we do not know what to tell our children. Most of us have arrived at a point where we still believe and insist on and act on the principle which is no longer valid, that this is such and such an optimum uh, choice is the lesser of two evils. And that is no longer true. Gonorrhea is not preferable to syphilis. The time has come, it seems to me, to recognize that the framework, the framework in which we operate weighs on us too heavily to be born and is about to kill us. It is time to ask very hard questions and take very rude positions at no matter what. touch my clarinet because I was having some feelings of sadness. So I just I didn't want to put any sadness into her. But today I'm I'm not feeling sad at all. I feel yeah, sad. Um and humble at the same time. <laughs> Always. <laughs>
12 and um, it was in the apartment of the person I was couch surfing and I just saw it and I needed it and I needed to pick it up and play it for whatever reason I just knew it and when I started playing the clarinet it was definitely tedious for me and I remember why I remembered why I put it down in the first place but it really sparked the hunger in me to make music and find the right instrument find the right instruments to do that because I could feel the music starting to play inside of me and yeah it just needs the right instruments, the right tools, the right sounds to fully express itself out of me. I think that the ultimate goal of music playing, storytelling, dancing, ultimately creating art in general, I think, is the is the freestyling, the live performance, the analog, the day-to-day, the daily life, that rhythm. That's kind of what it's all about.
I became a poet at 13 and now I'm 28 and I've written a couple books now, a couple more coming. Here's love. God said, let there be light, he was speaking of you. And then he found that the trees of life needed a fruit. Blacker the berry, sweeter the juice. He was thinking of you. You have that same goddess glow that I see in the moon.
square E, what happens? So I heard once there's this poet who talked about like poetry is reconstructing our memory. Bud for Amethyst. Feed the 
Beginning of eternity, the end of time and space, the beginning of every end, and the end of every race. <laughs> what is it? Uh, dirt. Alright, I'm supposed to stall. So everybody take a big breath. And go, Slice it down to its sheer essence. <laughs> <laughs>
pizza dough. You just put weird things in your bowl all the time. You just Trump. take weird things from girls. The beginning of eternity, the end of time and space, the beginning of every end, and the end of every race. Yeah. What is that? E. E. The letter E. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Sunshine's on And the snow fell Into Yeah. 
Tears we fake, tricking ourselves into believing that we're not worthy of love, but we are worthy of love. Entangled in material world.
democracy that protects states. And we really only have a democracy that allows for the value of the philosophy that supports the peace. And we have a democracy that protects all of it. Just find your path forward through everyday situations. It's always a piece of the bigger picture. All the little battles and tensions and interactions are important. That's where the rubber meets the pavement. I think that most of humanity's problems is simple lack of good communication. So learn to communicate. Open up. Reach out each and every day. Do it at home. Do it at work. Do it with your partner and your coworker and the stranger and the other. And let our shared perspective tease out some, the meaning of life's riddles. Kindle your fire of truth. Shine your light of love. Be a beacon together. where you find world peace. The battle between evil boils down to how you treat the earth, its inhabitants, and each other. We need to work towards peace because peace isn't going to come from the right or the left. Peace comes from the middle, reaching 